We have made it to the book of Mark. We finished up 1 Corinthians a few months ago and just kind of taking a break before we dig into another book. But here we are. We're going to be going through Mark for the next few months or a couple of years, as long as it takes, Lord willing. We, uh, we'll just take our time going through a few verses at a time and uh, if the Lord wills, we'll make it all the way through the end. But we'll uh, just kind of get a little introduction to the book of Mark this morning. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. Coincidentally, uh, in Sunday school, one of our groups is going through the book of Mark. I didn't have a clue when I, uh, when I was praying and kind of thinking about what book that I felt like God wanted me to preach through next over the last couple of months. Uh, I, I finally decided it was Mark. And then last Sunday I walked through and I saw the books for starting today in the Sunday school class. And uh, those who are in there also started Mark today. So that's just a coincidence. Or maybe not. Maybe it's not a coincidence. Maybe the Lord just thinks we need to learn some stuff from Mark. And so if you really want to learn a lot about Mark, you can come on Sunday mornings at 945. And Ernest, I know, does a good job of teaching through Mark. Uh, and uh, I'll try to do a good job to preach through Mark. Uh, but there's a lot of good stuff in the book of Mark. Uh, Mark is the shortest of the gospel accounts. There are four books of the Bible that we refer to as the gospel. That is, the good news. Uh, because they, they really focus on Jesus and his ministry. Uh, talking about the miracles that Jesus did and all of the parables that Jesus told. And those books are... Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you ever hear somebody say the Gospels, that's what they're talking about. Now Jesus Christ is the Gospel. It is the good news. Of the four Gospel accounts, Mark's is the shortest. It's only 16 chapters. It's much shorter than the other uh, three that we read about. And, and, and with it being shorter, Mark really kind of gets to the point. I would, I would use the word action to describe Mark's method for writing these different things. Uh, we don't get as much detail uh, for some of the, the, the parables and stories about Jesus in the book of Mark that we may in some of the other books. Now, a lot of the gospel accounts, they cover some of the same stories. So some of the things that we read in Mark, we may have greater detail on some of those things and some of uh, the other accounts that you want to look at. But Mark's uh, book kind of goes pretty quickly. The, the, the different things are, are pretty much to the point. They tell you exactly uh, this is this, this is this, this and this, and, and, and doesn't spend a whole lot of time uh, talking on those things. Many believe, I don't know that there's any way to, to know this for sure, but many scholars, theologians, believe that Mark was probably the first of the four gospel accounts uh, that were written. Uh, it is believed that Mark, that wrote the book of Mark, is the John Mark that we see mentioned in Scripture. I would say that that's probably so. Somebody that was uh, working alongside Paul to some extent, although Paul did uh, get a little, little aggravated with John Mark over some of the things that happened. But we see, ultimately, uh, that, that Paul looked at Mark as somebody who was good to work alongside him, that was good for the, the cause of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we see this mentioned to a John Mark in the text, uh, in the New Testament, in the gospel accounts, and it's probably this John Mark who uh, wrote this book. Now, it, it may be that John Mark was uh, around the time of Jesus and may have had some interaction uh, with Jesus. I don't know that there's any way uh, to know that, but, but definitely Mark was, was there at the time of the early church, and he was being a faithful disciple of Christ and doing uh, 
the work of Jesus Christ and, and, and telling about Jesus Christ. And that's why we have this book, the book of Mark. It tells us about the life and times of Jesus Christ and gives us details of, of some of the experiences that Jesus had. Uh, I said that Mark is a book of action. I would say this. Uh, if I had to title this series, uh, the study of the book of Mark, I, I would title it Call to Serve. I think that we see that uh, throughout the book, and particularly uh, toward the end, this idea of, of, of Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, being called to serve. Now, it would be very beneficial to us when we read through God's Word, especially when we are reading about Jesus, is to pay attention to His attitude, to His actions, to how He treats people, the way He loves people, the way He cares for people, the way that He's willing to serve people. And we see that in a few instances in the text that, that may come to our mind. In particular, the first one that comes to my mind is Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Stories like that that show us what service really is. Now, as followers of Jesus, we need to know that we are called to serve. Ernest alluded to this in children's church. We are not called to sit on pews. We come and we sit on pews, and that's great. We come to worship the Lord, and the Lord is worthy of our worship. And we fellowship, and that is all well and good. But we are called to serve. Now, sometimes that, that means serving in the church. There may be things in the church that need to be done. I want to encourage you to serve in the church. In a small church like this, or even in a big church for that matter, there are only a handful of people that seem like do most of the work. Now, it's important for us as brothers and sisters in Christ to seek areas that we can serve. There may be something that, that, that you say, boy, I'd like to do that, or, or I'd like to help with that. Well, praise the Lord. Then start. That's what we are called to do. We serve within the church. Sometimes we serve one another. There may be someone within the church body that's sick or that's hurting or that's in need of something, and we can help that person, and we can go, and we can serve them in some way. So service definitely takes place inside the church. We come, we worship the Lord, we serve the Lord, and we serve others within the church. But our service doesn't stop at the church. Our service should go out the door with us when we leave on Sundays or on Wednesdays. Our service should go out the door with us and go into our community, into our workplaces, into our schools. Uh, wherever it may be that we go, we should go with a heart of service. That may be a good prayer for us to pray. God, help me to see areas where I can serve you that maybe I have missed. Because if we're not looking for areas to serve, I can just about assure you that there are probably some opportunities that you and I may be missing. Some people that we can serve. Now, we have to take a deep breath before we pray that prayer because God may answer that prayer in a way that we don't want it to be answered. Because oftentimes, serving means that we have to give a little bit of ourselves. We have to sacrifice something. Maybe we give up something that we wanted to do uh, to, to take the time to help somebody else. It may mean getting our hands dirty. It may mean costing us a little bit financially. Now, we're all about serving. I say, let's serve. Everybody say, amen. amen. But then you come up with something that says, but you got to give a little bit of your time. You got to give a little bit of your money. You're going to have to get dirty. It may have some long-lasting effects. Wait a minute, I ain't, I ain't the kind of servant I can do. Uh, sometimes we say, well, how about I just throw some money in there and we'll hire somebody else to do the work? 
No, that ain't going to cut it. We do that sometimes, maybe, and that's a good thing. But when we serve people, we show them the love of Christ. Now, we can't show them the love of Christ by paying somebody else to do what God calls us to do. The job may get done, but when we are going to serve the Lord, and when we do serve the Lord, people see the love of Christ in us. And we build relationships with them, and hopefully can help them to build a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So that's what I think about when I think about uh, the book of Mark, and we'll talk about that in, in, in greater detail. But that just gives you a little introduction. Now, I want to encourage you to do this as we uh, go through the book of Mark. I want to encourage you to really pray, and not just through the book of Mark, but this is a good time to start. I really, if you don't already, and some of you, maybe all of you do, I want you to pray about God's Word. I want you to pray before we read God's Word. Before you come in here on Sunday morning, I don't want you to come in and say, golly, he's, he's hung up on love. He's done preached on that for three weeks and he can't get off of it. It's going to be, all right, go ahead and preach about love and let us out. I don't want you to come in with that attitude or that mindset. I want you to come in and I want you to pray that God would help us to learn something from His Word. That God would really let His Word speak to us. That we would really listen to His Word and that we would wrestle with it. Because that's what it is sometimes of God's Word. We, we wrestle with it because, because, boy, it tells us something we don't want to hear. And we kind of wrestle because, like, golly, God, I know you want me to do this, but I don't really want to do this. And so we want to wrestle with God's Word when it says you shouldn't be doing that. And you know you shouldn't be doing it, but you're tempted to do it. And we wrestle and say, God, I want you to help me. I want us to pray. I want you to pray that God would help you to understand His Word every week. I want you to pray that God would help me to preach and teach His Word. Because we come here to read God's Word. You don't come here to listen to me, because I'm not that good a preacher. I'm average at best, and maybe not even that good. So I hope you don't come here to listen to me, or you'll be disappointed. But if you come here, and I believe you all do, you come here to hear God's Word. And so we want to listen to God's Word and let it speak to our hearts, and let it speak into our lives. And I believe that there's a lot that God can tell us in the book of Mark if we listen to it. There's a lot that God can work in our lives through His Word and Mark if we will be obedient to what it says. Now, I know that was kind of a long introduction, but hopefully that kind of paves the way for us as we get into the book of Mark. So let's pray, and we'll jump in. Father God, I pray that you just be with me as I preach and teach your Word, dear Lord. I pray that there are no eyes on me today or ever, but God, that the eyes are always on the cross of Jesus Christ that the eyes are always on your word, dear Lord, that people would look at your word, that they would read it, that they would hear it as I read it, dear Lord, and that the Holy Spirit would work through your words, dear Lord, because that's where the power is. But I pray, God, as a, as a servant, that you would help me to preach and teach in a way that's going to be beneficial to each one here, myself included. Let us hear your word. Let us take it to heart. Let us live by your word. Let us see all the nuggets of, of goodness that are in your word. I pray that you be with us today. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Amen. Verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, he gets right to the point. He tells us instantly, Mark does, what this book is about. It is about who? It is about who? Jesus. All right, good job, good job. Good job. Maybe I'll get y'all to interact more through the book of Mark so we can all wake up and get on board. It's a book about Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, in case you haven't figured out, all of God's Word is a book about Jesus Christ. Even the Old Testament. 
is a book about Jesus Christ. All of the New Testament is a book about Jesus Christ. Mark is putting all the focus in these writings on Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So there's no question as to who Jesus is. Jesus is who he said he was. Mark is affirming that. He's testifying to that. Yep, Jesus came. He is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. That's what all this is about. Jesus is affirming to us, or excuse me, Mark is affirming to us that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's what his writings are about. They are about Jesus Christ. Then he shifts gears in verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Now, here we see Mark go back to some prophecies from the Old Testament, in particular Isaiah and from Malachi, Isaiah chapter 40. And Malachi chapter 3 is where you will find uh, those two passages uh, that Mark quotes here. He's telling us that he acknowledges, he's testifying to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he also says, and not only that, but he's the one that was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Even the prophets testified about the one who was coming. Even though they didn't know his name, even though they didn't know when he was going to come, they knew that he was going to come. Now, the people that Mark was speaking to uh, may have had some knowledge, and probably some of them did, uh, about the scriptures that we would call the Old Testament, about the prophets and what they said. And Mark is saying these prophecies were about the Messiah. All of these things that you read about in the Old Testament, Mark says this is the one that they're about, the one that I just told you, the one that I'm testifying to. It's Jesus. He's the same one that the prophets testified to. He is the one who has finally come. I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. Mark is letting us know that these prophecies were pointing us toward Jesus Christ. Now, these prophecies were fulfilled in John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist came before Jesus Christ. He came preparing a way for Jesus so that the world would know that the Messiah was coming. How was the world going to know that the Messiah was coming? Well, when the messenger come that was going to prepare the way. Mark is saying you've already been told how to know the Messiah is coming. So here's your proof, here's your evidence that this Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the Messiah. How do we know that? Because one has come who has prepared the way before him to let us know that the Messiah is coming. So here we have Mark that is testifying to Jesus as the Son of God. Also, the prophets have testified that Jesus would come and was the Son of God, and the messenger would come, prepare a way before him. And now, in the next verse, we are going to be introduced to that messenger. In verse 4, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, this is important for us to recognize what John was doing. We don't have a lot of detail about John the Baptist here, but we have the core, the core that we need to know. What was John doing? What well, he was preaching. What was he preaching? He was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He was letting people know that they were sinners. Now, this is very important. It was important for the people of John's day to know that they were sinners. And guess what? 
it's important for you and I to know that we are sinners. Now, perhaps John had to preach that message because maybe the people didn't realize that they were sinners. After all, we know from Jesus' dealings with some of the people, uh, the religious people, is they didn't think they were sinners. They thought that they were living righteously. Now, Jesus would teach them many times that, no, you're not living righteously. You're not living the way you should live. You're, you're doing a bunch of things that make you religious, but your heart is not on the Lord. Now, perhaps that's the same heart that the people that John the Baptist was preaching to had. Maybe they didn't realize their need for repentance. Maybe they were just self-righteous. Maybe they were proud. Maybe some of them were just ignorant. They just really didn't know that they were sinners. But John was going to let them know that they were sinners. Now, that's an important realization for us to come through, come to. Because unless we realize that we are sinners then we don't, we don't realize our need for a Savior and the significance of it. Uh, you've heard the phrase, I've got good news and bad news. Well, the reason that, that, that good news is good is because it's better than the bad news. Sometimes it's the hearing of the bad news that makes us want the good news. Now, in the case of the people here, and us too, uh, the bad news is that you are a sinner. That is, you have done something that God has told you not to. That's sin has separated you from God. That sin has, has, has lots of effects in our life. It can affect us mentally. It can affect us physically. Uh, it can affect our attitudes. Uh, sin has lots of effects that we encounter, and we are all sinners. As a result of that, we are separated from God because of our sin. Now, that's the bad news. Now, upon hearing that bad news... I would say that most of us in here, upon really coming to that realization in our heart, it kind of makes our heart skip a beat when we really realize our wretched state and just how sinful we are. So what do we do? Well, here's the good news. The good news is Jesus Christ. That's why Mark is telling us about Jesus Christ. He's the good news. Now, the good news is good because the bad news was so bad. The bad news is we're hopeless and helpless apart from Jesus Christ. The good news is that Jesus Christ came so that we may be forgiven. And John is preparing the way. Yes, there was coming a Messiah who was going to come and deliver his people. Yes, there was going to come a Messiah who was going to be able to forgive us of our sins, a Messiah who would eventually give his life for us. And John is preaching that Messiah. John is saying, look, you need to repent. Now, they were being baptized, which was which was not a common thing. We, we see any, or no evidence in Scripture, at least I, I don't really see any, of anybody being baptized before this point. But here was John baptizing people in the water. And he was letting them know that it was a baptism for the forgiveness of their, or for the repentance of their sins. So we are introduced to John the Baptist now in this verse, who was also testifying to the Messiah who was going to come. Let us read a little further. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were flocking to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. Now this would have been a lot of people. Now typically when I've read about John the Baptist baptizing, I guess I hadn't really paid that much attention. Because in my mind as I'm reading, I see just like a couple dozen people on the shore and they're like, all right, I hear what you got to say. And they, they wander on down there and they come and John baptizes them and all is good. But that's not what the text says. The text says that the whole Judean countryside 
And all the people of Jerusalem were flocking to him. Now that leads me to believe that it was probably a lot of people. I don't know how many people were in Jerusalem or in the Judean countryside, but if all the people in Jerusalem were flocking to him, that's a lot of people. They were flocking. It wasn't like they were just meandering by and somebody said, oh, you know, there's this John down there on the river baptizing sins. I don't really know. I don't have a lot of sins. I may go by on the the way back through when I'm going to see my father-in-law. I may stop and see what he's got to say. That's not what the text says was going on. The text says that people were flocking to hear what he had to say. Why were they flocking to hear what he had to say? Well, I believe because the Spirit of God was upon him. He was speaking what the Lord wanted him to speak. And upon speaking about the forgiveness or repentance of sins, people heard that message and they were realizing, I need to repent. I need to, there's some sin in my life that shouldn't be there and I need to turn from that. Let's read a little further. Verse 6, John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He was preaching. Someone more powerful than I will come after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, what John is saying there is, look, what I've done is I've made you aware of your sins. I've baptized you in water, but that's not going to, uh, that's not going to save you. What you need is to accept the one who is coming. I have prepared the way. You have repented of your sins. Now know that the Son of God is coming. There is one who is coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That is, he will clean the inside. Now that's our problem, is what's on the inside. We can fool people with what's on the outside, and sometimes we do. Sometimes we got things inside of us that are pretty nasty. And we're good at fooling people. We can put on a a good face and we can say the right thing. But what needs to change is what's on our inside. Now, Jesus addresses that. We'll talk about that a little later in Mark chapter 7, I believe, uh, where Jesus talks about cleaning what's on the inside. And that's what John was saying. He said, look, you need to turn from your sins and you need to know that there's one who's coming who is ultimately going to forgive you of your sins. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And John preached a powerful message that the people wanted and needed to hear. They obviously wanted to hear it or else they wouldn't have flocked to him. Now here's something good for us to realize. When we think about John in verse 6, it said that he wore a camel hair garment and a leather belt uh, around his waist and ate locusts and honey. Now, that was pretty, pretty intense clothing that he wore there. Now, this may be to kind of bring the people's mind back to Elijah, uh, to, to point them back to uh, the prophet of the Old Testament. Or, or it may be that he just was a simple man. He may just have been a simple man who just didn't really care a whole lot. But look, it didn't matter what he was wearing. It didn't matter what he was eating. What mattered was what he was preaching. Now, we need to understand that. It's not, it's not about our appearance necessarily. I don't care how anybody dress. I don't care if you dress, dress up all, as good as you can. I don't care if you come in wearing flip-flops and, and, and shorts. It does not make any difference. It doesn't make any difference what we wear if we're going to reach people in the world. What makes a difference is the message that we preach. Are we coming and bringing the love of Christ to people? Is the Spirit of God upon us? Are we seeking to do God's will? Are we seeking to point everybody to Jesus Christ through our actions and through our words? Or are we more concerned about worldly things? 
Are we more concerned about uh, just getting them to church or, or whatever it may be? Now, I'm all for getting people to church, but, but really, our goal should not just be to get people to church, but should be that they would know about Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, the people didn't care about what John was wearing or what he ate because they cared about his message. His message is what made the difference, and the same is true for us. People don't care about, about what we wear. People don't care about uh, what we say if it's not from the heart and we don't love them. Now, obviously, John was speaking a message that, that really was able to connect with them, and so they listened to what he had to say. Now, as we go into the world and we begin to serve people and we begin to tell people, we need to be passionate about what we tell people about Jesus Christ. And when we are in love with Jesus Christ ourselves and we're passionate about Jesus, when we go into the world, people will see that. When we go into the world, people will listen to what we have to say. People may even flock to us in the same way uh, that, that they flock to John. Maybe they don't flock to us necessarily, but it's not uncommon for people to come up to a Christian when they're having a crisis. You know why they come to Christians? Because they've seen the way you live. They may not believe in God. They may not believe in prayer. But you watch. You may have had somebody come to you or you may have seen it before. I bet you'll see it one of these days if you hadn't already. Somebody comes to you and says, look, I'm not a religious person, but I need you to pray for me. Why do they do that? Because they've seen the way you live your life. They've seen the things that you've preached, so to speak, even though if you're not standing behind a pulpit or, or preaching to them in that way, uh, you preach to them in some sense in the way you live your life. And there are times that people may come to us just as they came to John because they saw the message that we preached or the life that we lived. What did John do? He pointed them to one who was greater than him. John said, look, I'm just, I'm just a servant of the Lord. There's one coming after me, and he is far greater than me. I'm not even uh, worthy to untie the straps on his sandals. And so when people come to us and we have an opportunity to share with them, what do we do? We don't point them to ourselves and say, well, I am pretty religious. You should have come to me. I'm glad you didn't go to him or her because they're just kind of hypocrites, but you came to the right person. No, that's not what we should do. When people come to us, we can say, all right, let's take it to Jesus. Let's look at God's word. Let's see what Jesus does. Let's see what Jesus says. And we point him to someone greater than ourselves. We say, look, brother or sister, I don't understand what you're going through. I don't know what you're going through. And I, don't, I may not even know the right words to say. But look, I'm a sinner just like you. I struggle just like you. But let's pray. Let's take it to Jesus because he is the one who is greater than me. He's greater than you. And that's who we go to. And we point everything back to Jesus Christ. Mark started off. He made everything that he was writing about in this book. It was founded on Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist is here testifying along with Mark, along with the prophets. Here we have John testifying that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that's who we are to give our praise to. That's who we are to focus to. That's who we are to trust in for our salvation. Verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending to him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, I take delight in you. Now, Mark doesn't really expound on a lot of details about this event, which there are a whole lot of details even in the other uh, gospel accounts, but he, 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 he points out something that's very important to us. 
And that is the baptism of Jesus Christ. Now, why did Jesus, why, why was Jesus baptized? That's a, I think that's a good question for us to ask. Uh, obviously, Jesus didn't sin. The other people that John was preaching to, he was telling them they needed to be baptized for the repentance of their sin. Uh, Jesus never sinned. Well, one theory that, that I think is, is, is appropriate, that, that makes sense to me, is that Jesus was baptized to relate with all the rest of the sinners. He was fully human, just as you and I were. He was the Son of God, but he was also uh, the Son of Man, a phrase that we see from time to time in the text. He was, in many ways, just like you and I, even though he was the very Son of God. Uh, perhaps Jesus was baptized because he was showing that he was like the people. Perhaps he was being baptized as a sinner, knowing that he would be the one who would take the sins of the world uh, from all of us and all who have come before us and will come after us. And so here we have this beautiful, uh, this beautiful moment that's taking place. Here was John the Baptist, the messenger uh, that God had sent before. And John recognized this. Uh, John says, look, I should be the one uh, that you should be baptizing. I shouldn't be baptizing you. Uh, but John baptized Jesus Christ. And upon Jesus' baptism, we see a beautiful thing take place. We see uh, in verse 14, or excuse me, verse 10, uh, as soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending to him like a dove. Now here we have a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ himself. He's being baptized in the water. Upon coming out of the water, here comes the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. Now we have the Spirit that is testifying. This is Jesus. The Holy Spirit is coming down on Jesus, the Son of God. He is testifying, yep, this is the Messiah. This is the one that the prophets talked about. He, he is here. He has made it. Not only do we see Jesus here, we see the Holy Spirit here, and then we also have God giving affirmation and speaking here. He says in verse 11, And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. I take delight in you. That's one of my favorite passages, the baptism of Jesus, because we have Jesus in the flesh, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have God the Father all within a couple of verses of each other here. So the Spirit has now testified that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Now God himself is testifying, this is my beloved Son. He is the one. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. Now in these first 11 verses here that we have read, we have five different people that are testifying to who Jesus is. We have Mark who is testifying that Jesus is, is the Christ. He is the Son of God. The prophets have testified about the one who was coming, that is, Jesus. John the Baptist has testified that the one who was coming after him was going to be the one that the people needed to look forward to. He was the Messiah who was coming. The Holy Spirit has testified that Jesus Christ is the Son of God by descending on him. God himself has testified that Jesus Christ is his Son. He is the Messiah. He is the one. In these 11 verses, we have had five different people who have testified to Jesus Christ and who he is. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 19, it says that the testimony of, of two witnesses is enough. Here we have five witnesses, five who are testifying to who Jesus is. There's no doubt in my mind when I read God's Word who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and the Savior of the world. 
We don't have to doubt that for a second. We see that all throughout Scripture. And Mark is making his case right here. He is making his case by saying, look, Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus is one that we need to listen to. Jesus is one who is the Son of God. Jesus is one who walked this earth, who healed the sick, who loved people, who had compassion, who raised the dead, who preached the good news. Jesus is the one who was beaten for us. He gave his life as a sacrifice for us. He had a crown of thorns put on his head for us. He was nailed to a cross for us. He was resurrected from the grave by the power of God so that we may receive forgiveness of of our sins. That is who Jesus Christ is. Now, who else in the world has ever done that for you? Nobody. There's no one else in the world, in no other religion, in no other faith that you can study about, that has a Messiah, that has a Savior, who has predicted his death and resurrection and pulled it off. There's nobody else in this world. There is nobody else in this world who has died for the forgiveness of your sins. There is nobody in this world that has, been, that has been tortured, that has went through what Jesus Christ has done apart from Jesus Christ. It is Christ and Christ alone. It is the cross of Christ that we look to as Christians that gives us hope because we see through his life, through his death, that Jesus Christ loves us. That's what makes Jesus different from everyone else in the world. There's been lots of people in the world who have said a lot of crazy things. There's been lots of people in the world who have claimed to be the Messiah. There's been lots of people in the world that say this, that, and the other. But there's only one who has done everything that he has ever said he is going to do and will do everything that he said he was going to do, and that is Jesus Christ. And if your hope's not in Jesus Christ, then you're hopeless. <clears throat> The world would, would tell us there are lots of ways to get to heaven. There are lots of ways to be forgiven. But the Bible would tell us there's only one, and that is Jesus Christ alone. And what a beautiful introduction we have here in the book of Mark to establish that foundation for us, that it's all about Jesus. If we don't believe it, we read God's Word. There's uh, witness after witness who saw Jesus, who testified to what Jesus did. We don't have to doubt for a second that Jesus was who he said he was. <clears throat> Let's read a little further. Last two verses. In verse 12. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels began to serve him. Now, this is a very brief description of what happened before Jesus went into the ministry. You can uh, read more about this in Luke chapter 4 and in Matthew chapter 4. And I actually just preached on this. It hadn't been too many weeks ago. Uh, so I won't go into a lot of detail on this. But here Mark has set up for us Jesus' ministry. In just a few verses. Now, uh, if you read in the book of Matthew or in the book of Luke, you get all these long genealogies, and those are good for us for historical purposes. I'm not saying that they're, they're bad for us. But Mark, Mark isn't concerned with any of that. He gets right to the point. He gets right to the point of establishing who Jesus is. All right, Jesus has come. Everybody testifies to Jesus' coming. He has been prepared for the ministry by being baptized by John the Baptist. And right before he goes into ministering and doing the work that God had sent him to do, he goes into the wilderness for a few days, for 40 days. And there he is tempted by Satan, who tries every way he can to keep Jesus 
from fulfilling his task, from being the savior of the world, from giving his life for his people. But Satan is unsuccessful. And Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. And Satan uh, leaves him and the angels come and begin to serve him. And it's after that difficult time, that difficult start to serving the Lord that he begins to do the Lord's work. And in the verses and chapters after this, we are going to see lots of Jesus' work. But our service of the Lord is not terribly different from Jesus's in the sense that when we are trying to do the Lord's work, you can rest assured that the enemy will try his best to tempt you in every way that he can. Now, he may tempt you in some of those same ways he tempted Jesus. He may tempt you in a different way, and he's going to tempt you in a different way than he tempts me because you give in to things different than I give in to things. But I can rest assure you this, if we as individuals and we as a church want to serve Jesus and live for him and follow his example and live for him in the same way that he lived, then know this, we will face opposition. The minute that you say, God, I'm going to seek you with all my heart. God, I'm going to be in your word. God, I'm going to pray to you. God, I'm going to listen to you. You can, you can rest assured that something is going to happen. It may not be major, but it's something going to pop into your mind that gets your mind off of the Lord, that gets your mind off of helping somebody else. So you'll forget about it. And in two or three days, you'll, you'll kind of move on with your life and you'll go on. And guess what? You won't be serving the Lord. But we must fight those temptations and we must seek the Lord and we must maybe even speak the same words that Jesus spoke. Get thee behind me, Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ. After all, there is much power in the name of Jesus when the, when the enemy uh, comes against us. If we are going to live a life of service to the Lord, one, we need to know who Jesus is. The best way to know who Jesus is is to read God's Word. We've got five people that are testifying about Jesus in 11 verses. And the rest of the New Testament and the Old Testament is full of hundreds of more verses that tell us who Jesus is. And I want you to know who Jesus is. I want you to know that He's the Son of God that died so that you could be forgiven of your sins. You can't be forgiven through anybody but Him. And maybe you know that. Maybe you've accepted Him. Maybe you're living for Him. If you are, I want you to know that you are called to serve. You were called to serve Him. You were called to serve Him in this body. You were called to serve Him outside of this church. And there may be many ways that God may call us to serve. I don't know what way He may be calling you to serve. You might know something right now. You may have felt convicted from the get-go because you know God has caused you to do something and you've been putting it off. Well, now is a good time to do whatever it is God may be calling you to. If you don't know something, just pray and say, Hey, God, if there's an opportunity that you want me to serve... Let me know. Let me know for sure that you want me to do that. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe next month, maybe next year, maybe five years from now, there's going to come an opportunity and you're going to know that it's from the Lord. And if you do, get that opportunity, then serve the Lord. Look at the example of Jesus Christ. See how He loved people and served people. And let us as a church love and serve people in this church and in our community in the same way. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning. We thank you for this beautiful uh, opening to the book of Mark. God, we thank you for, for just the reminders that we see in your word. It reminds us of who Jesus is. God, I pray that you help us to know that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Maybe there are some in here, God, that never have accepted Jesus as their Savior. They've never come to that realization. I pray today that they would, dear Lord. I pray that they would take these words that John was speaking to the people then and know that they apply to us now, that we need to repent of our sins, dear Lord. 
and be baptized in Jesus Christ and be baptized in the water, dear Lord, just as Jesus commanded us. God, I pray that if there are some in this church that, that are yours and maybe they're, they just hadn't, they hadn't been serving you, maybe there have been opportunities and they haven't uh, taken those opportunities to do what you called them to, God, I pray that you would help them to do that. And God, I pray for our church. God, I pray that we would be a church of service. I pray that we would serve our community. I pray that we would serve people that we don't know, that we'll never get to see, dear Lord. But if you put that need in our path, I pray, God, that you would help us to serve whoever you call us to serve. And God, I pray that we would love people in the same way that you love people, in the same way that Jesus loved people. God, that you would give us that kind of compassion. And maybe it's not in us, dear Lord. Maybe we, boy, maybe we got, we're angry and we're mad and we're impatient, dear Lord. Those are things that we fight against. But God, help us to overcome those things through the power of Jesus. Help us to, to be transformed into somebody more like Jesus. God, help us to have patience with people, to be gentle with them, to love them, to be kind to them, dear Lord. All the things that your word says, I pray that you help us to serve people in that way. And when we stumble, and we will, God, help us to realize that, help us to give those things to you, and help us to seek our best to serve you with all our heart. God, I pray that you bless the reading of your word as we go through this book of Mark. God, I pray that there's something in here that we need to hear. I pray that we'll get it out. I pray that you'll let us know how you're speaking to us, and I pray that you just help us to hear what your word has to say. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.